Hey, this is Ted Stetzer Live, and I'm your host this and every Saturday at this time. Ed Stetzer's my name. I serve as the dean of the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University here in, uh, well, normally it's sunny right now, sunny California. Last night it did something we're not really accustomed to. It rained here, so we're trying to adjust. It's, you know, be, be with us. You know, they have thoughts, send, send thoughts our ways because we're not used to rain. But, uh, but I'm glad to join you and really focus on over 200 stations and outlets across the country to talk, well, about issues of the day. And I don't know that you can spend much time understanding or engaging uh, what's going on in Christianity today without dealing with kind of questions about what's happening to people who maybe move away from their Christian faith. Now, I should say to you that I think we have to put those in different categories, and I think that's our guests are going to help us do that today. Uh, about 1% less Americans per year identify as Christian. If you follow the data from PRRI, a uh, polling firm, it's a little more than that. So one over 1% of your Americans every year um, stop identifying or are less identifying as Christian. Now, most of those are not people who you saw at church on Sunday who suddenly changed their mind, deconverted, and you know either became atheist, agnostic, or something else. Uh, most of those people are people who had uh, you know little faith connection and uh, stop using the term to identify themselves. Stop using the term Christian, and that's that's you know, transparently that's most of my family. Who you know, I grew up in an Irish Catholic household in New York City, uh, just outside of New York City. But the Catholic Church was largely the church we didn't go to on Sundays, and so over time, most of my family, you know, they started calling themselves Catholic, and then they called themselves Christian for a while, and now most of my extended family just wouldn't use that word to describe themselves. They're their beliefs and practices haven't shifted much, but nominal Christians drop the label over time. So there's that's a probably a big part of the category, but not all of it. Uh, but then there's some that we actually see people who intentionally move away from their faith, who who actually sort of um, you know decide that they they had questions that were unanswered and more, and they sort of. Uh, you know, identifies Christian as younger, but maybe maybe they go kind of maybe the picture we see. It's not always accurate. Um, they go off to college, and their faith assumptions are are challenged or questioned, and and maybe because of that, they move away from their faith. And in other cases, there's just a genuine struggle, and we have different terms for these things. And our authors are going to help us to uh, the author guests we're going to have today, who are authors on this topic, are going to help us because there's um. There's different language that people use on this very program. Um, I think it was on this program or on my podcast. I have a podcast too, by the way, at uh, called the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. I had Lecrae on, and Lecrae is a well-known uh, musician and artist, and he talked about his own, and I think he used the term deconstruction to talk about how he moved away from some of the trappings of Western uh, expressions of Christianity, but still very much speaks about his faith and recently listened to a whole podcast he did where he talked about that, and we might come to some different conclusions about things, but he hasn't left his Christian faith, but he did use the word deconstruction to describe what, well, what he's walked through. And so I hear people talk about, well, I'm deconstructing, I hear other people talk about I'm deconverting, um, and more. So we're going to talk about that with two guests today. The first is Sean McDowell. He's an associate professor in the Christian Apologetics Program at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola. In other words, we're co-workers. Sean is the co-host for the Think Biblically podcast. He's author, co-author, and editor over 20 books, including Chasing Love, Evidence for Jesus, Timeless Answers to Tough Questions about Christ, and Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. Now, again, that last book is going to be some of our topic today. Listen to the title, Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without 
sinking your faith. So John Marriott is also our guest. Um, I asked him, we met 30 seconds once, and I think I made a joke or afterwards asked somebody if he was related to the people who own the hotels. It appears that he's not, but John Marriott is a faculty affiliate of the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard University's Institute for Qualitative Social Science, former research and program coordinator for the Biola University Center for Christian Thought, teaches still part-time in the Department of Philosophy at Talbot with us, author of five books on deconversion, including kind of the most of our focus today, Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. Now, uh, John is also the Director of Cultural Engagement with the Renaissance Forum, which focuses on connecting calling to culture for societal well-being. Okay, so uh, if you're a listener, I really want to encourage you that you might have someone in your family who's uh, maybe walking through a bit of these questions or deconstructing or more. Remember the subtitle here is Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you want to text somebody, let them know. Remember, too, this program is always available at edstetzerlive.com. You can click through, subscribe as a podcast, you know, download the Moody Radio app and more. We're going to take your calls as well, just to let you know the number now, but my guess is we'll get more calls as we jump into the topic. But our number is 877-548-3675. So let's start with you, John. And I just going to kind of start with, I, I kind of gave a little bit of categories at the beginning that some people are dropping the label, nominal Christians dropping the label Christian. Uh, some people are maybe moving away from orthodox beliefs. Some people are uh, deconverting. They're not Christians anymore. And then there's this word that you and Sean use in the title of the book, deconstruction. Now, you've written on deconversion. What's the difference between deconstruction, deconversion? And tell us a little bit about what deconstruction is. On the program, Ed, I appreciate being here, and good to be with you again, Sean, as well. Uh, the difference between deconversion and deconstruction would be deconversion is when someone essentially undoes their faith commitment. Uh, not talking here about spiritual reality so much as I once believed a certain set of truths. I no longer believe those. I once was part of a community, the church. I'm no longer part of it because I don't identify any longer as someone who's a follower of Jesus. And I might be an agnostic and say, I just don't know. Maybe I'm an atheist and say, I don't believe that God exists. Or maybe I just say, I don't, I, I'm a nun. I, I don't have any inclination one way or the other. Uh, sometimes people get there by way of deconstructing their faith. And it depends on what we mean by that term. Because if you asked five people, you'll get about seven different definitions of what it is to deconstruct a person's faith. But I think that there's probably really three ways that term is most often used. Uh, maybe the first would be someone who has been hurt. Uh, someone who's been disillusioned, and they feel that you know Christianity has really uh, let them down, and so they've come to the conclusion that it's probably false, and now they're going to take the magnifying glass out and look at all of the problems that they think really are there, and in a way justify leaving their faith. Right, so it it starts off motivated by maybe a hurt or a disillusionment, and then it expands into I'm going to. Uh, do a, a real critique of Christianity, because I, I really don't think that it's true. Then there are others who say, hey, I was born into this, I was raised in this, but I've never really asked if if it's true. And and their question is, I'm putting all the cards on the table, and I'm, I'm going to ask, uh, you know, is Jesus really the way? And I'm going to take my faith apart, I'm going to look at it, I'm going to do a deep dive investigation, and ask, is there any reason to believe this? And then there's the third group 
who maybe aren't asking so much if Jesus is the way, but they're asking, what is the way of Jesus supposed to look like? Because like the second group, they were born into a faith, they identify as a follower of Jesus, they love him, but now they're looking around and saying, hey, um, is the is the faith I've been handed really representative of the way of Jesus in the scripture? And so I'm going to take it apart, analyze it, and then try and put it back together in a way that I think is more reflective of what the Bible teaches. And in our book, Set Adrift, those are the people that we're specifically write, we wrote the book for. A lot of students who we talk to, speaking engagements, conferences at Biola, who will say, I'm deconstructing, I want to remain a Christian, but I'm not sure what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, and I think that's that's helpful because the distinction between the two, um, you know, and I would say too, without some, you know, doing this in the context of community, uh, you know, engaging the Word of God as the authority, uh, submitting the Lordship of Christ, uh, that sometimes, I mean, I, I don't know, John, I've seen people who maybe start the deconstruction journey as you described it and end up actually deconverting, uh, maybe because they kind of didn't walk well through some of those those things, if that makes sense. So um, so let's talk a little bit about that. And Sean, let's go to you as well. Um, so when you're talking about deconstruction, are you, uh, you know, you're right there teaching with us at uh, Talbot and Biola, very popular professor at Biola and Talbot. Um, you know, students come in and they, I mean, it's interesting because part of what we have to do is to say to them, you know, some of the kind of the pop Christian versions of what you have heard, maybe in high school, um, you know, they're they're not biblical. They're not they're not really well grounded biblically. They're kind of maybe they're American expressions, or maybe they're cultural expressions of the West, or things of that sort. But sometimes that can be a little jarring to to somebody, and so there beca- therein becomes the question. So, how do you think we can walk people through? getting to a more biblical and deeper understanding, having them deconstruct false expressions of Christianity without losing the truths of the gospel. What, what do you think? Well, you're right about how jarring it can be. I mean, I remember when I was a student at Biola, my roommate was just a, an avowed Calvinist and wanted to debate it and discuss it. And I hadn't really thought about those issues very much up until that point. And it kind of not not rattled my faith, but made me think, huh, I wonder what else I've just taken for granted, that there's other ways of looking at this. Now, I think that's a healthy process. We had good conversations and helped me think through theology and scripture, but it can get derailed sometimes when I think people take secondary issues and make them primary issues. This is what John and I see happen all the time. I know you do as well, Ed, is that people have a secondary issue. Maybe it's the role of women in the church. And by secondary, I don't mean not important. I mean not essential to the faith itself or how they understand the sovereignty of God, Calvinism, Arminianism, maybe the age of the earth. And they take a secondary issue. And either they realize the secondary issue, or like you said, some cultural assumption that they had about the faith, realize the world is bigger and that there's smart people who see it differently. And then they start their faith can begin to unravel. So I think a couple things we can do is when I'm talking with students, I just spend a lot of time listening. I mean, there's a Proverbs that says the purposes in a man's heart is deep and a person of wisdom will draw it out. So I spend a lot of time listening to people just trying to say, what is the core of the issue here? Is it moral? Is it theological? Is it emotional? Is it relational? And then just trying to separate secondary issues 
from essential issues. So listen well, and then just separate and help. Sometimes students are not able to think clearly that way. That's one of the things John and I try to do in our book is to try to give people kind of a grid for deconstructing well. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's good. I think the kind of the way you described it too is, you know, what are they undoing? What are they unpacking as well? We're going to continue our conversation with John Merritt and Sean McDowell in just a moment. Our phone number, want to call, you got probably got questions or maybe even some journey you've been on yourself or walked through with others, 877-548-3675. Again, our number, 877-548-3675. We're going to continue our conversation around the book, Set Adrift, deconstructing what you believe without sinking your faith. Stay with us. Hey, we're back. Ed Stetzer Live. We're talking about deconstruction. Now, again, we've kind of defined that in a series that John Merritt walked through with us and talked about maybe different ways of viewing that and the way they're defining it is helpful because the book title well, probably helps us to understand. It's called Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. And I think that's an important part of our conversation as well. So there's different uh, ways to talk about this, but that's kind of where we're focused in on. And we're taking your calls, 877-548-3675. Again, it's 877-548-3675. Okay, so one of the things that I think is Probably. Now, I keep even, John, I'm going to come to you first, but even in my questions, I keep giving statistical things. It's one of the things I don't like, John Marriott. It's not about you, but it's a, it's, a, it's a bee in my proverbial bonnet, is that these people who basically say, which you don't, is that, you know, all these people are converting to from Christianity atheism. And I, I recently did a series uh, called Faith Lytics, and, uh, and Ryan Burge was my guest, and Ryan's a researcher. And and we actually talked about this, and it's like, you know, there's not this huge, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but there's not this huge train from devout Christianity to aggressive atheism. Now, I will tell you, I have a dear friend who I still occasionally stay in touch with, elder at our church, deeply loved Jesus, who has indeed taken that train, who now would say, I'm not a Christian, um, I, don't, I don't believe any of those things, and I think they're silly. So I've, I mean, I've seen that happen, but statistically... That's not the, the the big reality. But the reality is, I mean, John, the conversation about deconstruction, I mean, CBS News did a, uh, you know, they have this web show they do, and they did a one, excuse me, a half hour program on this. Um, there, there's, people are talking. Uh, so are, are a lot of people deconstructing the way you describe it? Is it more today? Has it always been the case? Is this new? Just unpack it all for us, John. I think so. I, I, I think that would be the mm -hmm. case. And as you mentioned, yeah. there's not a ton of people who are taking the train from conservative, evangelical, I love Jesus, I have a conversion experience I can point back to, and becoming um, an angry atheist. But as you said, there there certainly are some, and those are most of the people who I have engaged with in the past and continue to, to dialogue with. But for the most part, I think that what we're seeing is a cultural change that's taken place where it's much more acceptable and a lot easier to maybe be a, be a bit more honest and say, you know, when I grew up, I believed this kind of stuff. I believed about Jesus. I went to church. I went to a Bible camp. But, you know, to be honest, I'm not really, I don't really follow that anymore. Whereas in, in the 1980s, if you were, you know, if you were a white Protestant American and there was a census that was being taken, you would have checked off Christian 
even if you had almost no deep connection to it or or any kind of uh, conversion experience or no deep ties to to Jesus where now I think because culture has changed it's a lot easier for people to say I guess I'm really nothing uh, mm-hmm. and and I think that's where we're seeing the biggest change in the demographics because as you're aware perhaps within a generation I think it's I think it's pure the general um, social survey that says that within about 70 years or less there will be more people who identify as nuns in the United States than there will be who identify as as Christians and and that's I think simply largely due to the fact that we're living in a culture where it's easier for people to come out and say um yeah I I really don't believe this anymore yeah. First of all, let me just say it warmed my heart that you mentioned the General Social Survey. That's one of my favorite tools when the rel tread sits over that. I wrote an article for the Cambridge Hosted Journal of Politics and Religion on the rel tread for the General Social Survey. I know our listeners are now rolling their eyes because anytime <laughs> I can have a little research opportunity, I, I love that. It's, it was Pew, and they talked about different projections. And if current trends continue... You know, we're we're kind of following the path that, well, Canada is a few years ahead of us and the UK and then Australia and then New Zealand. And in New Zealand, it's low 40s who describe themselves as Christians. In mm-hmm. Australia, it's depending on which survey, but it's it's hovering around 50, low 50s or high 40s in the UK. You know, so we see this trajectory. So certainly uh, America is becoming less Christian and Christian identification as well. So now, of course, it's important to note that the book here, and I want to encourage you to get a copy of the book, and let me also say to you that we're going to give away five copies of the book to insightful callers. I know when I say that, sometimes people like call up and say, can I get a copy of the book? No. Well, you can, but I need brilliant, insightful questions or comments. And so I want to open up the phone lines and start some of those discussions. Again, our number is 877-548-3675. We're talking about the book, Set Adrift deconstructing what you believe without sinking your faith. And we're talking to the authors about deconstruction. Again, Sean McDowell, John Marriott, 877-548-3675. Sean, let me throw one more question to you, and then we'll go to the calls. Um, I remember when I... I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I came to Christ in, uh, you know, kind of youth group age. I... I um, my, I got in trouble and my mother grounded me and said, you can either go to this Christian youth camp or you can be grounded for a week. And I, I went to this Christian youth camp. She was a new believer and uh, heard the gospel and my life was changed. And, but I was like, I had a lot of, I was precocious. I had a lot of questions and I was in the kind of world that my questions were, were not dismissed, but instead were welcome. They let me wrestle through things. I had a volunteer youth leader who was actually an insurance salesman who who discipled me, really smart guy, helped me ask some questions. So I guess the question I would give is to you, and then we'll go to our calls. Again, let me remind everybody, 877-548-3675. And the phone lines, by the way, have lit up, fellas. So we're going to have some good conversation here today. So if you're you're waiting on the phone line, give us a couple minutes. We're going to get to you. So, so here's my question. How do we, what kind of wise engagement, and this is, of course, the theme of the book, but what kind of wise engagement do we have with someone like I was, uh, who had questions, who was, who really loved the Lord and just wanted to figure out what was biblical and, and what was right and what was, what was something I could or, or, or I could question? What do you think? Well, let me go the opposite direction and tell our listeners what not to do. This comes from okay, a that's friend helpful. of mine. Who went? He went through a serious period of questioning. Went to his youth pastor, and his youth pastor goes, "Literally, take your Bible and sleep on it. Put it under your pillow, as if somehow through osmosis that would deal with the doubt." 
Honestly, wow. Ed, I hear stories <laughs> like that all the time, really? which basically means wow. I don't have answers. I am not, you know, not willing to engage, not willing to listen. These folks in your life responded exactly the way they should have. Invite questions. Christian is true. We have nothing to be afraid of by inviting questions. In fact, there's a study. This is more with with younger millennials out of the uh, Fuller Fuller Theological Seminary sticky research. They said it's not doubt that disengages the faith. It's unexpressed doubt. So people have been able to ask questions, talk about it, shown love and security, people not freaking out, and then trying to help them make their way through the questions relationally is exactly how we need to respond. Love that. Love that. And I, but I, gosh, I am kind of stunned by the fact that somebody said sleep on the Bible. But I also think like one of the beliefs that I early on deconstructed was the idea that carrying a Bible around, like I'd carry my Bible around high school, which I think, let me be clear, I think that was a good thing, but it always had to be on the top. And in doing so, I knew I'd kind of walk in a blessed life. And I realized that, you know, that's not really, it's not a rabbit's foot. You know, the Bible's not a rabbit's foot, but some, I had to sort of distance some of those ideas and get to more uh, biblical ideas. Well, let's let's start going to the calls. Let's let's go to the calls first. We're going to go to Deb in Quad Cities. Deb, you're live on the air with your question or your comment. Go right ahead. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm hearing more of and really appreciate Sean and just touches my heart that he's following in his father's footsteps. I think that's amazing. And um, I have a son I dearly love. He's a great son. He was. Um, brought up in the faith. I'm sure he had a conversion experience, even through college. I got a call, you know, Mom, I'm trying to read through the Bible again. Would you help me and go with me? And he he, he has been rooted and grounded. And, and then he moved to New York City in Manhattan, Upper West Side. You have to say that. And he's just swimming, I think. He's, he doesn't want to be ignorant. He wants to be enlightened, and he keeps learning more and more about other religions and practices, and seems to be not really deconstructing, but um, adding more, like, I'm a Christian, but I like this, too. And I, I know it's not my job to ensure his salvation, but I pray, and I, I don't know what practically to do. I can see it. It's hard where he lives to, you know, really be engaged in Christianity. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know what well, to do. I'm pretty. <laughs> yeah, well, Deb, why don't you why don't you hold on? Yeah, hold on just a second, and let's let's have. Um, I think this is a great opportunity. First of all, I want to give you a copy um, of the book, and and I think I think it may help. It's it's called "Set Adrift: Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith." And so, hold on the line after you hear from uh, Sean and John, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll give you a copy. Of the, my producer will come in the line and give you a copy of the book. So, I mean, so here here you got somebody, and, and you know, much more. I, I'm guessing that the son moved from Quad Cities, Iowa, which is you know. Bible Beltish and to New York City, which has had a you know a renaissance of faith in the last few decades, but still Upper West Side, you know, very secular area, maybe engaging some new ideas. Uh, let's go to John. John, what would you advice would you give to Deb, who who loves her son and wants to help him navigate these questions and transitions well? Well, Deb, uh, thanks for calling in. I really appreciate uh, you calling in, and I can hear in your voice. How much you concern, how much concern you have for your son and your love for him, and 
And I want you to know that you're not alone. There are so many parents out there who I hear similar stories about um, their kids who grew up in the faith and then now are are, are somewhere on the margins of it and, and they're deeply concerned for their well-being. And I think the first thing that that you need to do is um, I, I, he sounds like he's open. He sounds like you guys have a great relationship. And I think you really want to make sure that you keep that relationship uh, with open lines of communication. And the best way I think that you can do that is by by thanking him and, and, and being appreciative that he's open and willing to talk to you about these things, to listen really well and, and not panic and not feel the urge and the need to to sort of to reach out and to do everything you can to ensure that he returns to the faith. It's very, very easy for parents who uh, find that a son or a daughter is going through a bit of a faith crisis and and, and want to latch on and, and do whatever we can to, to make sure that they don't leave. I think it's also really important to listen well and ask helpful questions, questions like, how long have you been feeling this way? Or... Is this something that you're settled on? Uh, are you still in process? Are, are you, will you welcome me into the dialogue? Um, can I be a partner with you in that? And then I think the most important of all is to make sure that we communicate that regardless of where our children end up, that we will always unconditionally love them. So good, so good. So hold on the line. During the break, we're going to give you a copy of the book as well. Our number is 877-548-3675. Again, 877-548-3675. We're talking about set adrift, deconstructing what you believe without sinking your faith. John Merritt and Sean McDowell will continue our conversation with you and your calls in just a moment. back and we just had a great call from Deb and I, I wanted to add Deb too that it might be helpful to, to if he hasn't already for your son to find a church there in New York City and uh, I was the interim pastor of a church there called Calvary that uh, it's right now it's meeting at Hunter College uh, but normally is right near where you are right by Carnegie Hall across the street from Carnegie Hall and they're rebuilding their building there right now it's called Calvary Stephen Olford used to be the pastor there if you've got a little bit of historic background and that's a wonderful church um, there's and there's a bunch of wonderful I mean New York City surprisingly has had a renaissance of church planning and evangelism and my guess is Deb, that some people are kind of um, have walked through some of what your sons walk through that and they're trying to figure out how to live in you know the, the secular city that is New York City and so just be encouraged, and hopefully that book will be helpful uh, to you as well. All right, let's go to some calls uh, as well, and we'll just kind of jump through. And first, we're going to go to Jan, listening on Moody, Nashville. You used to live in Nashville, Jan. You got to tell me, like, not your address, but what part of Nashville, what what part of the area do you live in? Oh, I'm sorry, oh, I listen Jan- to Nashville, but I live in Murfreesboro. <laughs> Well, Murfreesboro is great. I think I think actually the station is in Murfreesboro because I've been or it was. We did some stuff there, but Murfreesboro, great, great history. Sword of the Lords there and more. But anyway, uh, Jan, you're live on the air with your question, your comment. Go right ahead. Um, my my comment is really similar to the woman that was that was on the radio before. Um, you know, I, ha- I have four sons. My youngest son is the only one of the four who seems to be struggling with his faith. We have got a good relationship. We talk. I, I just wondered if, if your book would be helpful for me to read, or would it be a book for me to give to him? 
Yeah, that's super. That's super. Well, if you'll first, if you'll hold on, we're going to give you a copy of the book. And I and I, I let me say, you know, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, "Let another man's lips praise you and not your own." This book is actually on my desk now, and I definitely think it would be good for you to read and to give and to share uh, with your son. But this kind of follows, and I'll go to you, Sean. This kind of follows on Deb's question. Got a son, uh, one of four, and it's not uncommon. You know, it's it's um, you know, it's not uncommon for one or more of kids to say, "Man, I'm just." I'm thinking through, I'm questioning some of these things. So talk to us about the book, but then more broadly, kind of go out from there and say, you know, how might parents walk with kids who have some of these questions? This is really the book that I wish I could have given myself about 30 years ago when I was going through kind of a questioning process, what we might now call deconstruction. And so I think it, it for a young man who's open to reading a book, wants to stay, you know, kind of grounded in his faith. I don't think there's a better book that's out there. Now, I can't force anybody to read a book and be open to it. That's going to depend on his heart. But if he's open to it, I can't think of a book that I think would help him better than Set Adrift. Now, that said, it's not written directly to you, but I think what it would help you do is understand the process that many young people go through. Think of good questions to ask, how to frame and how to approach this. So I've had a lot of people read our book and say, hey, I'm a parent of somebody who's deconstructing, and this helped me how to relate to them. So more broadly speaking, you know, some of it depends upon his age. 12 is different than somebody who's 22 or 32. But like John said before the break, I would lean into that relationship and aim for a long-term perspective. Some people just have to go through a season where they question things and they realign. I did. And my parents, when I told my dad I had certain questions, he leaned in. He's like, I love you no matter what. I'll be with you through this. Just affirmed his love for me, his willingness to engage with me through this process. That would be my broad uh, encouragement for you. One thing to maybe ask, and maybe you've done this before, is just ask your son, say, hey, can we get coffee? I just want to hear. All I want to do is listen. One of these questions first come up. What's the root of the struggle? How do you think from your perspective I can most help you? What would be some unhelpful things that I did? And just hear his heart out might really help you know if he would honestly read the book and how willing he is to have these conversations. So that's probably where I would start. Fascinating. And I'm intrigued by the fact that you went through that. You know, we Sean and I work together, but we have, we're not like – going for long walks in the park, talking about some of these things. Maybe we should at some point. But, uh, but I, I, so your dad didn't just throw down evidence that demands a verdict and say, read this. He actually, like, you guys walk through some of these questions together. So I was, I must have been 19 or 20 years old. So I think a sophomore in college. And we were in Breckenridge, Colorado. And I just told my dad I had been having kind of questions for a while. And it's not like I rejected my faith. I just remember thinking, gosh, is this really true? Do I believe this? Am I committing my life to this? And some of it was uh, coming across some atheists and skeptics online that raised questions I wasn't ready to answer. And I went to my dad, and we were just sitting over coffee in uh, Breckenridge, Colorado. And as best as I can remember, I said something like, Dad, I want to know what's true, but I'm not sure that I'm convinced Christianity is true. And he looked at me, and you know my dad well enough to know, like, the jar is 99% full with my dad. It just is. <laughs> and he goes, son, I think that's great. And I was like, did you hear what I said? He thinks and that's great. Like, that's so awesome. That's so your dad. Right? That's exactly <laughs> how he responded. And he goes, you can't live on my convictions. You got to know what is true. 
He said, only reject something if you're convinced it's not true. Don't reject it out of spite like many people do. And I thought, that's interesting advice. And then he said, you know, your mom and I will love you no matter what. And in part, we walked through these questions, but I also needed other people outside of them. I mean, for this may be over dramatization, but when people are growing up, they need their Mr. Miyagi or they need their life, you know, <laughs> their mentor outside to come in. And fortunately at Biola, there were people like JP Moran that was there and I'd go see him during office hours and he'd help me answer and wrestle through some of these questions. And my mentor, my resident assistant really is what a lot of shaped this book. A resident director of biology had a profound influence on my life. Love that. And I think this is, you know, again, this is, I guess, I guess it's okay to have a little plug for Christian education here because, you know, we're the, um, you know, Ed Cesar Live is a production of Moody Radio, which is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. And so, you know, Moody Bible Institute, Biola University, we think that a lot, I mean, just statistically, a lot of young adults at college age is when people have questions. And I love the fact that J.P. Moreland, you would just, I mean, uh, you know, that J.P. Moreland's amazing. And so for you to just walk in and say, let's have some of these conversations. And so many, you know, my, my daughters, uh, you know, all went to Christian colleges and universities. And I can see that when they have had questions, they're having that opportunity to be in the context of professors that care. And really, as you mentioned, mentor in your dorm. Uh, really makes a difference. Okay, we better get back to the phone calls. Let me let me tell folks again the phone number. Again, it's 877-548-3675. Again, that's 877-548-3675. We're going to go to Diane in, well, in Columbus, Ohio. Great city, by the way. Columbus, Ohio, listening to WCRF. Diane, you're live on the air. Hi. Actually, it's Columbiana, which is a tiny town, but um, I was calling... <laughs> Is Columbiana still a great city, though? Because because Columbus is a great town. Is Columbiana a great? It's okay. Good. I'm just making sure. Okay. Good. Thank you. Very (laughs) um, small and rural, but yeah. Okay. um, I was calling um, a first generation Christian. My husband and I both got saved in the '70s, and we raised our kids, you know, the best we could. We took them to church, and my one daughter even went to Bible school, and. She's in her 40s now, and she has three children, and her husband's a Christian, and two of her kids are, you know, have believed and are baptized. And I don't know if, you know, we did something wrong or if, you know, just people's influence. She said that, you know, she doesn't even want to talk to me about Christianity at all or, mm. or have me discuss it with her children. And um, she said she's still a Christian, but she— does she feels like we, you know, I, we only presented one thing, but uh, coming out of where we came, when we became Christians, we were like, it was a radical change in our life. And, and, um, I don't know, you know, I think they went through some hard times. I don't, I don't even know, but you know, she's, she's questioning things and yeah. has pulled back from, I mean, she served in church and she doesn't even go to church. And she's just angry with us. And I feel like, you know, you know, I don't know. Maybe we did something yeah. too much. I, I don't know. Well, let's I let's know. not let's we not say that necessarily you did anything wrong. Yeah, that's I think that's kind of key. And if you'll if you'll hold on to we're going to go ahead and I want to have both uh, John and Sean have the opportunity to respond. But and I want you to hold on to because we're going to give you a copy of the book again. And I think it'll help. It's called Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. But let me also say to you before we take just a quick pause, that um, you don't, 
it's not necessarily you've done anything wrong. Uh, there's all kinds of Christian parents who love the Lord, whose kids struggle. So stay with us, and we're going to kind of walk through this conversation with Sean and John on the other side. 877-548-3675. A good question from Diane in Columbiana, Ohio, which is uh, which is not Columbus, Ohio, but Columbiana was named the nicest place in America in 2019 uh, by Reader's Digest. So there's that as well. But uh, but again, I'm going to throw to you, John, because I think I mean it's a super question. She's got a daughter who's um, said she's still a Christian, but it's kind of maybe questioning parts or moving away, or um, you know, not sure you know, not sure she needs church. And again, I, we're going to give to Diane a copy of Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. And I think that'll be a helpful resource for Diane to give to her daughter as well. But what advice would you have for Diane in engaging this conversation? Yeah, such a great question, such a difficult situation. I think the first thing to do would be to be at least thankful that she's a Christian, because there would be some folks who would just say, hey, I don't, I'm, I'm out. I don't buy into this anymore at all. And, and that she still identifies as a Christian, even though she's not at church and even though she's not serving like she once did. I think that that's a positive thing and something that uh, we can be thankful for. The second thing I think that is really important and I would really want her to know is that you can have two children grow up in the exact same home and be parented the exact same way and be presented with the exact same understanding of Christianity and both go in two different directions. And I say that because... I want, I want her to know that it is not on her. It's not her fault um, because, uh, it, because her daughter is wrestling with the faith necessarily. I, I know of one young man who grew up in a home. It was very Christian. Very, uh, They were missionaries. They went to China. They were handing out Bibles. Uh, he was very passionate about his faith. And now... He's left the faith, wants nothing to do with Christianity, thinks it's all a sham, and his twin sister is a missionary, wow. right? So they both grew up in the same home, both had the same experience, but how they responded was different, and we can't control the way that our children respond to the gospel. I think that the third thing would be is trying to get to the heart of the problem, and that is really going to be challenging, I think, because if your daughter's unwilling to talk about it, it's hard to to force those conversations without making things even more uh, the relationship even more strained. But I can think of a friend of mine who who came to know the Lord after years of of just pushing God away and wanting to have nothing to do with God, and it was all intellectual. But but at the end of the day, when he finally came to know the Lord, he acknowledged that the real problem that he had was an emotional problem towards God. He really hated God for some really horrible things that happened earlier in his life. Sometimes the the stated reasons and the surface reasons aren't the real reasons. And we heard Sean say earlier, we, we kind of would like to get to those deeper reasons. And in the in the case of your, your daughter, that's going to take a conversation where you, you may have to go sort of hat in hand to her and, 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 and say, hey, listen, I, I realize you're upset and you're upset with us as your parents, but could we just sit down and, and could you tell me so that maybe I could uh, apologize if I've done something wrong and, and then just listen and hear you out. 
because um, you really just want to be able to stay in the conversation. And the, the way to do that, I think, um, is to to approach her that way. But then, of course, um, it's always going to depend on, on whether or not she's going to respond uh, in a favorable way. Yeah, so so good. Um, Sean, I, I wonder if I could just swing back to you with that question as well, because and I, and I think and let me just say, John, thank you for your pastoral approach with Diane as well. I agree with you, and it's real important that we sort of acknowledge um, that that you know that you know you can be the most godly parents and and or the most ungodly parents, and the outcome is is often in the Lord's hands, and 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 that's a journey that she still may be on. Uh, what what would you say to parents whose kids have walked away from the faith? What advice? And exhortation would you give them about how to try to try to be a, a positive witness, but also recognizing that their kids have already kind of said no to that. What advice would you give? Well, a friend of mine who's an apologist went through this very experience, and he said his mindset shifted when he he felt he no longer had to convince his daughter of an argument or a position, but of his love. And for an mm-hmm. apologist to come to that conclusion is pretty deep. And he said, he said, she knows what I believe, but I need to lean in relationally, have a long-term perspective on this, and just do everything I can, like John just said, I think masterfully, to stay in the conversation and have a long-term view. I think what you, what you said, John, I want to piggyback on this. The idea of going to somebody hat in hand is humbling, and it can be painful, But the idea is just to say something like, I understand you don't want to debate or discuss Christianity. As your mom, would you be willing to just share with me where you're at in your journey, how you got there? I promise I won't push back. I simply want to understand so I can better love you. Are you open to just sharing that with me? Now, when you're done, you can simply ask a question. Do you feel like I understand? Good. Okay. At some point, if you're open to it, I'd love to be able to share with you where we're at if that's something you're interested in, but you let me know. That's how I would encourage that posture. But keep a long-term view, work on that relationship. And uh, in the long run, like John, I could tell you many, many stories of people that over years have come back to that faith as their just heart has slowly softened. Yeah, totally. I agree 100%. Let me let me add too that something that may be helpful. And Diane, we're probably spending a lot of time talking about your situation because it was very for you articulated well, very very clear your concern for your family as well. So I love that. Uh but throughout this conversation, some of the times we've talked about children and one of the things I was talking to kind of a well-known Christian leader. You probably know who the person is who's one of their kids has kind of walked away from the Lord. And he got advice, and I thought it was super insightful. He said, keep in mind, too, that if you're the non-Christian kid in a family of Christian kids and parents who are Christians, it can be really lonely because you're always on the outside of some of those things as well. And they got advice and really took hold of that advice to build a deep relationship with their daughter, uh, even though they might not go to church with them, or you know, it's an adult daughter. Um, and, and I think that was helpful as well. You want to find and stay in that relationship. Okay, we're kind of running out of time, but I would like to squeeze in a couple of quick questions if we possibly could. So I'm going to ask our callers to really be ready right to the point. I'm going to go to Marvin first in just a minute. Marvin, I need you to be right to the point, and uh, let's see if we can get them to weigh in. Marvin, in Grays Lake, Illinois, you're live on the air. 
Uh, good morning. Uh, my, I have two, uh, a two-part question. Uh, I don't have time for a two-part question, the, Marvin. If you just jump right to your one-part question. Go ahead. What? Okay. Uh, talk about the differences in uh, dealing with an individual who's rejected his faith simply because of some tragic event in their life, and as opposed to someone who's truly thinking through the whole thing. Love it. That's, That's it. a great question, Marvin. Hold on the line, too. We're going to give you a copy of the book as well. The book is Set Apart, uh, Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. Sean, we got about a minute left, and so why don't you just weigh in on his question? Well, I think for everybody, it's usually some combination of both. It's not just intellectual or experiential. It's both, but one might be heavier than the other. If somebody's been hurt, I'm going to try to respond pastorally. I'm going to listen. I'm going to show empathy. I'm going to focus on the relationship. And in the right time, at the right way, just gently ask certain questions like, hey, I understand why this hurts you so much. Do you think now that you've processed it, that's a reason to not follow Jesus? Help me understand how this pain that you went through means that Christianity is not true. Now, depending on how deep that hurt is, you've got to tread that ground very softly and carefully and graciously. But that's the question you want to get to, to try to separate in that person's mind what hurt they went through from what the claims that Jesus made. And frankly, how the Christian worldview really does have the resources to help someone through that hurt and that pain. So good. John, I got about 30 seconds left for you. If people read Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith, what's your hope for them in about 30 seconds? The hope is that they'll be able to rethink their faith. They'll be able to go to the Bible and reconstruct a faith that is well within the historic boundaries of the Orthodox Christian faith and will uh, be able to do so in a way that is healthy and more reflective of the truth. So good. And let me just say, I think I, I might have mentioned earlier, this book's sitting on my desk right now at, at uh, Talbot and Biola, and I'm super thankful for John and for Sean joining us today. The book, again, is Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. And I hope you hear that part of what re deconstruction can be is rethinking and, and, and re-engaging and maybe changing some things that you believe, but because the things you believe are maybe based on tradition or culture and not scripture and the biblical faith. So again, I want to encourage you to get a copy of the book. Again, Set Adrift, Deconstructing What You Believe Without Sinking Your Faith. Thanks to our guests, John Marriott, Sean McDowell as well. Thanks to my team behind the scenes at Moody Radio, my producer, Karen Hendren, my engineer, Bob Moreau, and Laura doing a great job manning the phones. We had a lively phone conversation today. To hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com. Remember, Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, and Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. We're thankful for you. We look forward to being back with you again next Saturday.